the soak. Written and read by Patrick E. McLean. Part one, mean old man. One, three months after. Hey, the dead guy woke up. These were not words Hobbs had expected to hear. He had not expected to hear anything ever again. He was supposed to be dead, and he felt like he was. He opened his eyes and regretted it. He turned his head and regretted that even more. He saw that he was in a room like a hospital room, but dirtier and more lived in. In the bed to his right was a fat, round-faced man with an idiot's leer and an oxygen tube in his nose. To his left was the door. Hobbs didn't have an urge to punch the door. Hey there, Rumi. Have a nice nap. Hobbs didn't answer. He leaned to the left and tried to get out of bed. Pain and nausea overcame him. Water, he said. Then he lay back on the bed, drained. He closed his eyes and heard the roommate say, They don't really have room service here. Then he passed out. The next time he woke up, Someone was shaking his shoulder. Come on, buddy, wake up there. Hobbs opened his eyes. A young man in shabby clothing presented some credentials and said, I'm Mr. Upshaw, the social worker assigned to your case. What's your name? Hobbs asked. What am I doing here? What is this place? This is the Clover Street Senior Living Facility, if you call this living. He flipped through his paperwork. You were found wadded up behind a dumpster with two gunshot wounds about an inch and a half away from death. You were treated when they couldn't get you out of a coma or find anybody to claim you. They parked you here. Shady acres. That's all I've got. What's your side? The man closed his mouth and looked at Hobbs. Hobbs wondered if this was his strong-arm technique. Hobbs reached for the plastic pitcher of water on the nightstand and drank from it. When he had drained it, he set it back down, trying not to let his hand shake. He sighed. Nothing, said the social worker. You give me nothing? What did I drive all the way out here for? I don't remember anything. Really? That's your story? You mean amnesia? Like a bad TV show? Hobbs looked at him. You wake up from a coma that nobody thought you would come out of. I was praying for him. I knew Jesus wouldn't let him down, interjected the roommate. The social worker continued, having had lots of practice ignoring crazy people. So I'd say you've got something worth living for. Something pretty important. Not the kind of thing you forget. Looks like somebody tried to kill you. You want to tell me anything about that? Hobbs stared at the social worker with his sunken eyes, dark circles and exhaustion adding twenty years to his already old and weathered face. He said, Livin', you come lay down in this bed, and you tell me the view doesn't look like hell. The roommate piped up again. Except Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, 
and you need not fear even the fires of hell. As he recited this verse from Imbeciles 21.13, spit flew from his lips with the words fear and fire. Hobbes said, See. He closed his eyes and heard the social worker say, I can't help you if you won't help me, and the cops don't want to help you at all. Hobbes fell asleep. The next time he woke up, the social worker was gone. Over the next week, a little of his strength returned, but when he used his wheelchair as a walker, he felt like someone had smashed a pint glass and stitched it into his stomach. Easy, friend, said the roommate, taking his eyes off the TV to watch Hobbes struggle. It's a rest home, after all. Every time Hobbes lay back down on the bed, he was afraid he would never be able to get out again. By the end of the second week, Hobbes felt well enough to reconnoiter. No cops had shown up to question him, and why should they? As far as they knew, he was just another John Doe, a nobody. They didn't know who he was, where he'd been, or what he'd done. They'd gotten his prints, but that wouldn't get him anywhere. Maybe they'd get a juvie hit from California all those years ago, but that was under another name, and he doubted those prints would be in any computer. He marveled to think on it, but that was the last time anybody had put the pinch on him. By the time anybody got around to checking up on him, he would already be gone. The only thing in question was how. Two. First, Hobbs tried to walk out. Glimpses out of the dirty windows revealed that he was on the fourth or fifth floor of whatever building he was in. The doors to the stairwells were locked and alarmed, but it didn't matter. He didn't think he could manage five flights of stairs in his condition. The elevators were on the center of the floor, behind a door that the staff used keycards to get in and out of. This was a minimum security prison for geriatrics. Hobbs was locked in here with the rest of the feeble, washed-out, discarded people. The coffee tastes like burnt piss. The food, regardless of the color, all had the same pasty texture and same vague aftertaste of stale oatmeal. He watched the security door from the cafeteria area for two days before he tried to make it through to the elevators. He was still using a wheelchair as a walker, but it was an act. He didn't feel whole, but he thought he could move without it. He hadn't tested how far, but he was certain he was getting better. So when a white-haired female inmate stood up, pulled her shirt over her head, and started screaming about secret Martian niggers coming to rape her, it was just the distraction he was looking for. The staff rushed off to container, including the nurse from the front desk. When she passed, Hobbs got up a little too quickly. There was a twinge in his stomach and a sharp pain. He broke out in a sweat, but pressed on. One foot in front of the other, quick, but not looking like he was in a hurry. He walked directly to the nurse's station, without looking back. Inside, he rifled through several of the drawers, looking for a magnetic pass card, but he came up empty. Then he took a chance and leaned down to peer under the desk. As his head swam, he saw the well-worn button that opened the magnetic lock on the main door. He stood up again and held onto the counter as the floor pitched underneath him. Maybe he'd been too ambitious. Jesus Christ, bending over without passing out was an ambition now? 
He stood there, trying not to throw up. The underpaid, overworked Jamaican nurse appeared in the doorway. What you doing in here? I was scared, he said, shocked to find that it was true. He had never thought about getting old. Well, maybe old, but never infirm. He was a little over 60, and I thought he had years before he needed to worry about being out of breath while climbing stairs, turning forgetful, or anything like that. But here he was, surrounded by the walking dead, old before his time, needing to save himself, and unable. He knew men didn't cry, but right now he had the urge. Don't let a crazy woman worry you non-handsome, said the nurse, seeing the distress on Hobbs' face. She's just a mean old woman. You really a Martian? Hobbs asked with a wan smile. She chuckled and shooed him away. That night, after lights out, Hobbs got out of bed and opened the room door. He looked out in the hallway. The roommate said, Oh no, you don't want to do that. Mr. Ray is on tonight. You don't want to mess with Mr. Ray. He hurts you if you don't behave. Go back to sleep, said Hobbs. He that seeketh evil, it shall come unto him, said the roommate, adding proverbs as an apology and explanation all in one. Hobbs thought, even when you don't seeketh, evil comes anyway. Mr. Ray was a night nurse with something to prove. He liked to throw his weight around with the inmates, a bully of the worst kind, preying on the most defenseless. A lot of people in here weren't even lucid enough to remember that they should be afraid of him. A few days ago, Mr. Ray had introduced himself by coming down on Hobbs. Hobbs had been watching the shift change at the end of the day and shuffled into the nurse's station to get a cup of coffee. Yo, Grandpa! How you think you're doing? Mr. Ray barked. Hobbs didn't look at him. He knew that baiting this guy was a bad idea, but he didn't care. He'd been here too long and was going stir-crazy. Besides, what was this clown going to do? Inside, this bully nurse just had to be a coward. Hobbs grabbed a cup and a shaky hand and poured some coffee. When he turned, he was faced with Mr. Ray, red-faced and sputtering. Hobbs took a sip and looked at him. He saw the slap coming, but couldn't move fast enough to get out of the way. Mr. Ray's meaty palm slammed into Hobbs' ear, the side of his face. As Hobbs clung to the counter and struggled to keep his feet underneath him, the ringing started in his ears. Mr. Ray looked down at where coffee was splattered on his scrubs. The wet stains called attention to the fact that the big man had been running to fat as if it was a race he meant to win. The pressure built inside Mr. Ray and his face grew redder. He leaned into Hobbs and spoke quick and low. Hobbs turned his deaf ear to him, hoping that the ringing would drown out this guy's bullshit. It didn't. Oh man, do you know who I am? I am Mr. Ray. Now you try that shit again, I will slap the wrinkles off you. Now get back to your room while I am still in a charitable frame of mind. Hobbs had to hold a hand to the wound in his leg to straighten up. To weak and shaky, he now added sharp pain. With effort, Hobbs stood and looked Mr. Ray in the eye. The nurse was mad, but not mad enough. Not yet. 
Over his shoulder, he saw the head nurse coming back from her rounds. Maybe this would be the play. Or at least, the play before the play. Hobbs spit in Mr. Ray's face. It almost got Mr. Ray to pop. But he was a smart, institutional bully. He wiped the spit off his face just as the nurse supervisor said, What's going on here? Mr. Ray turned around as sweet as a Valentine's Day card and said, Mr. Doe has gotten a little confused. I was just taking him back to his room. This area is for staff only, Mr. Doe, the nurse supervisor said, in the same tone of voice she would use for a three-year-old. Hobbs nodded. Mr. Ray took Hobbs's arm and guided him down the hallway. As soon as they were out of earshot, Mr. Ray whispered, You gonna pay for that, Grandpa. I don't have any kids. Shut your wrinkle hole. I'm going to come for you. Maybe sometime in the middle of the night. Maybe tonight. Maybe tomorrow night. Maybe next week, but soon. I'm going to fucking kill you, man. Sooner or later, maybe just slip a needle in your IV and give you a little something something. Maybe just a little air bubble the size of my dick, you know. Whatever it is, ain't nobody going to care. You wouldn't be up in here if you had some people to care for you. Shit, nobody would. So who's going to investigate me? Who's going to care that one old cracker strokes out in the middle of the night? Besides, don't nobody believe that John Doe bullshit, wheeling you up in here with a GSW in your gut and that withered-up old leg. Who knows what bad shit you've done? Maybe I'd be doing the world a favor. Maybe I'd be doing you a favor. Maybe the cops be the least of your worries. Your former associates, likewise, because now you on the wrong side of Mr. Ray Ray. As he spoke, Mr. Ray squeezed Hobbs's arm harder and harder. But when Mr. Ray looked for fear and pain on Hobbs's face, he could find none. Don't matter how tough you act. You know old people doze off, Grandpa. You gotta sleep sometime, Mr. Ray said giving Hobbs a shove into his room that caused him to stagger and grab for the railing on the wall. Ray raised his voice so it would carry all the way back to the nurse's station. You sleep tight, Mr. Doe. Hobbs staggered into the bathroom and closed the door. He lowered himself onto the toilet riser, an industrial steel and plastic contraption that lifted the toilet seat to a height that the infirm could more easily manage. It was old, and yellowed, and cracked. The plastic screeched under his weight as he sat down. He sat there for a moment, catching his breath. Then he stood and dropped his pants. He checked the puckered scars to the right of his belly button and on the front of his left thigh. The doctors had said the leg wound was lucky. The bullet had gone in, grazed the bone, and passed through. Lucky? He felt like someone had filled his hip joint with cold sand. He was weak. So weak. He sat on the toilet again. He cursed as the plastic moved and pinched his ass. A millimeter of skin caught in a tiny crack on the side of the seat hurt so badly that it brought tears to his eyes. Was this to be the end of it? The end of him? Was this the way he went out? It had all been in his hands. That bitch had taken it away from him. From all of them. 
He reached down and grabbed the side of the aged plastic. With all the strength he could muster, he pulled up. He groaned. He strained. Then, with a crack, a long, sharp piece of plastic came free. He put the point against the wall and pressed. It bent, but didn't break. When he climbed back into bed, the roommate said, I warned you not to mess with Mr. Ray. Three. Four hours later, he heard a faint jingling of keys. Mr. Ray was coming down the hallway. The man's comfortable shoes made no sound, but the keys on his belt loop, softly clinking together, made just enough noise to give him away. Hobbs had lain in the bed patiently, waiting like a professional does, not waiting for something to happen, not even wanting something to happen, just watching and listening for what did happen. Hobbs looked over and saw the wide eyes of the roommate looking at him. He said, turn the other cheek, pretend to be asleep. The roommate did not look away. Suit yourself, thought Hobbs. He heard Mr. Ray shutting the door of the room and trying to be quiet about it. Hobbs closed his eyes. This was the hard part. He heard the footsteps grow closer to the bed and fought a battle not to flinch from an imagined blow he couldn't see. Hobbs needed the man close. Even though Mr. Ray was a fat, greasy shit, Hobbs was in no condition to run him down. He'd get one shot. If he could get him close... He smelled bad cologne and felt the man's breath in his ear as he said, I can kill you whenever I please, but not tonight. Hobbs opened his eyes. Mr. Ray said, Yeah, that's right. Hobbs turned quickly in the bed and drove the plastic into Mr. Ray's kidney. Ray's face, an inch from his, lost all color. His mouth made a large, round circle, but no sound escaped. Mr. Ray tried to breathe in and failed. He clawed at the side of the bed and then collapsed in a heap alongside the wall. Hobbs threw his bedclothes to the other side and regained his feet. You're going to hell, whispered the roommate. Hobbs snapped the key card off Mr. Ray's belt with a brutal jerk. Not tonight. The roommate looked at Hobbs with wide eyes and shook his jowls as if the momentum could make the whole thing a bad dream. Hobbs knew the roommate was going to scream before the fat man realized it himself. Hobbs rolled across the bed and staggered to his feet. The roommate sucked in air to scream. Hobbs got to him before he could let it out. Mr. Ray's scrubs were too big for Hobbs. He cuffed the pants and tucked the shirt in as best he could. He tore his hospital gown in half and stuffed half into each of the nurse's shoes. They were uncomfortable, but they stayed on his feet. Hobbs walked calmly past the nurse's station without looking. The trick to doing something wrong and getting away with it. The trick to doing something wrong and getting away with it was to do it like you did it all the time. Hobbs flashed the card at the sensor and pushed through the doors into the elevator lobby. He pressed the button and looked around as though he was bored. Only then did he risk a glance at the nurse's station. It was empty. In the parking lot, he found Mr. Ray's car by walking around and clicking the key fob until he heard a chirp. 
It was a beat-up Pontiac Firebird with an aftermarket alarm system and a plastic scrotum and balls dangling from the rear bumper. Big nuts, with nothing to back them up. Hobbs thought that summed up Mr. Ray's life in a nutshell, and then he never thought of him again. The majority of cars in the lot had North Carolina license plates on them. Had he made it that far north? He was tougher than he thought. Tougher than he felt, for sure. He really didn't remember much of the end of it. Inside the car, he checked Mr. Ray's wallet and saw that his address was indeed Charlotte, North Carolina. It had been years, nearly 30 since he'd been here. And he didn't remember much about that either. Just a payroll job at a mill on the north end of town that he had bailed out of when it had gone wrong. He smiled. Maybe that job could come to something good after all these years. A plan began to take shape in his head. He felt weak, but good. He went through the glove box and checked under and behind the seats. No firearms, no cell phone. All clear. He had $120 in cash from Mr. Ray's wallet, and he figured he had until morning, if his luck held, before word was out on the Firebird. Cameras would make him leaving the nasty, five-story, brutalist building he had just escaped from. Rest home? Hobbs snorted. He turned the engine and the headlights leapt across the badly kept lawn. That was a prison. A slow-motion death row with no appeals. Better to be hunted than to be caged. <laughs>